Welcome to the Private Practice with Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Brooklyn Storm and I help private practice owners align their business back with their soul's calling, with their big vision and with their soul's purpose. Unlike other private practice coaches, I've traveled the world in search of spiritual resources, spiritual tools, education and information so that you can have the transformation that your soul desires and needs so that you can up-level your business. How much fun is this? I love it so much. Guys, if you're not already a member of the Private Practice Monthly Mentorship Group, please check out the show notes. I would love for you to be there. In the meantime, thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's begin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Private Practice with Soul podcast. If we haven't met yet, hi, my name is Dr. Brooklyn Storm. I'm the host of the show. Welcome to all of the new subscribers and a huge shout out to everybody who listens to so many of the episodes. I am so eternally grateful for you because this week I received an email from Apple saying that uh, our podcast is now number 159 in the rankings. And that's absolutely thanks to you for listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Also, we have another milestone to celebrate today, which is we have more than 30,000 downloads, which is a huge achievement considering that this podcast is not mainstream. It's a niche within a niche within a niche within a niche. So I think uh, to have 30,000 downloads, we are doing something well and right. So that's so much fun and I'm celebrating and thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, this week I am speaking to my clients and to my groups and to you about policies and documentation in private practice because this is so important. Um, I have set the intention today uh, as always for you to be able to leave uh, knowing something you didn't know uh, or to leave with a beautiful result in your private practice Uh, I want you to feel more competent and confident as you move forward. Um, So today we're going to talk about something really serious uh, when it comes to hiring and recruiting in private practice that you may or may not be aware of because I do not want you to fall into a pit trap that a couple of other clients did um, when it came to their recruiting Uh, contractors and employees for their beautiful solid private practices Um, and I will also be sharing with you a resource uh, at the end that um, I think is absolutely going to be invaluable no matter what stage you're at of the private practice. Sound good? Okay, good. So this one's more about masculine energy today. It's really about um, putting safe structures in place so that then the feminine can come through and do what she does, which is the direct client work, you know, that beautiful relationship, nurturing, therapeutic intervention. So um, with the focus today, what I want to talk with you about, first of all, is knowing when you need to hire, because this is one of the... um, you know, mistakes. I don't really like that word, but this is one of the learning moments (laughs) that many private practice owners can experience. They wait until it's too late to start recruiting. Uh, That's the first thing. And the second thing is they don't know how to recruit. Um, And so what I mean by that is the right time to start your recruiting is when your own capacity is at between 70 and 80%. 
Why? Because we need to give you that wiggle room so that you can keep filling up your diary and you can keep seeing clients, but knowing that somebody else will be coming into the business um, to support you in working with the client load. Okay, so we do not want to do what some people do and wait until we're at capacity and we don't want to wait until we've got waiting lists. If you can avoid that, please do. Uh, What this means for you, an action step, write it down in your journal now. Go back and have a look at your capacity over the last six months or maybe last three months and see where you're at. If you want to see 20 clients per week and you're at 15, you need to start recruiting. Um, You know, that's the easiest way I can tell you. Do not wait until you're at 20 and then burst in at the seams and trying to juggle, oh, this one comes every three weeks. This one comes every two months. It just gets crazy messy. So don't do it to yourself. When you're at, you know, say 75%, we'll we'll split it down the middle. When you're at 75%, that's when you want to invoke your recruitment um, plan and your recruitment strategy, which brings me to my next point, which is, of course, a lot of, um, uh, you know, it tends to be women that I work with, um, but a lot of women in private practice uh, not only wait until they're at capacity before they hire, they don't have a recruitment plan in place and they don't have a recruitment strategy in place and they don't have anything set up. Ideally, while you're in stage two of your private practice and you're establishing your foundations and things are pretty quiet, instead of worrying about where the next referral is coming from, um, see the time as a blessing in disguise because this is going to allow you the space and the peace of mind to be able to create your recruitment plan and your recruitment strategy and get everything set up behind the scenes so that when you do hit 75% capacity, you'll simply be able to push that switch on your computer, on your software and sit back and let the computer do all of the work because you've already set it up. Okay. The last thing that you want to do is wait until you're Um, you know, overworked and under a lot of stress and under a lot of pressure to sit down and try and write an ad or to figure out how you're going to recruit. Okay. We want to do that beforehand because we don't want you to feel like everything's been added onto your plate. So if you need help, if you're at capacity or you're approaching capacity and you don't have a recruitment plan or recruitment strategy in place, um, let me know because I can teach you how to get them together. Okay. Now, the thing, this brings me to like the the point of today's podcast. So earlier in the week, I was talking to people about, you know, essential policies that they needed to have in place to start their private practice. Um, today, I want to talk with you about the importance of having the right documentation in place when it comes time to add more people into the practice, okay? Whether that's you choosing to do it through a traditional employment pathway with them or through a um, contracting pathway for them. So I'm going to base this information based on uh, information I've pulled together from a few different Australian websites. So if you're not from Australia, um, please understand that you will need to double check um, with your local state and with your local government what the procedures are. Okay, so um, here we go. I think this has come about as well because some people that I know in private practice have actually gone to court over um, 
difficulties with contracts. Some people who've gone to court have been, you know, the private practice owners were successful and sometimes they were not. All right. So I'm going to give you, you know, a filtered down, diluted version of a case study based on real life example of a client of mine um, that you'll be able to follow along with. But before I do that, I just want to share with you, um, you know, some things to consider as a private practice owner, or even if you're listening to this as somebody who works with a private practice as an employee or as a contractor, might be really interesting for you to listen to as well. Um, Because we want to make sure that we're all doing the right things and that we're all working ethically and we're all on the same page. And sometimes, despite the best of our intentions and the best of our efforts Um, if we don't know what we're doing and we don't have the right advice we can make mistakes that can be very very costly okay now one of the mistakes for having an ineffective contract in place for subcontractors or um, employees is there can be a financial penalty of um, over and above $66,000 to your business as a result of getting this wrong So I'm sharing this information with you today because I want you to be able to avoid that. I want you to have peace of mind and confidence knowing that if you hire somebody as a contractor or as an employee and that person has some sort of issue with you down the track, I want you to feel comfortable and confident knowing that your contract or that your employment agreement is um, sound. So that's my intention today to give you that peace of mind. If anything that I share with you gives you cause to pause and reflect, um, don't panic. This is a learning opportunity and I will give you, those of you who want it, I can connect you with the lady that I use for my stuff. Um, Just send me an email and I will um, connect you. It's not a problem. Okay, so let me get started by simply, um, you know, doing a little bit of a um, compare and contrast of the role of an employee and an an independent contractor. Okay, so when it comes to employees, we want to have a look and contractors, we want to have a look firstly at the intention. Okay, the intention. So um, as an employee, what we're doing is we're creating an employment relationship, okay? And that's demonstrated when you hire someone and you get them to fill in the tax file number form, you get them to fill in the form about their superannuation, and maybe you get them to um, complete some kind of employment agreement, okay? Um, The other intention that you might have is to um, engage a subcontractor, an independent contractor, okay? And this intention is shown by um, you having an agreement in place with them and by them providing you with their ABN, okay? Pretty simple. So all we're doing with the intention is just getting clear on what everybody's roles are, what, what they're going to be doing and how. The next thing is to look at um, the ability of that new staff member to delegate or subcontract work. So if you employ a counsellor to do counselling work for you, then they must do that work. All right. But if you give that work to a contractor, then they're running their own business and really they can take that work and give it to one of 
they're contractors, okay? Um, you don't have any control over that really. That's totally up to the contractor, um, the contracting agency that, that you're using. So if I was your subcontractor and you said to me, oh, Brooklyn, you know, I've got three counseling clients that need to be seen, right? I can choose to see them myself or I might give that work to another counselor that works for me, okay? The next area is to look at the amount of control over how work is actually performed. So um, if you have an employee, you direct how they work, okay, and that they're going to be doing that work on an ongoing basis. So you give direction. You say, okay, um, this is the time I want you to start. This is when I want you to have your lunch break. This is when I want you to finish. This is where I want you to work. And this is how I want you to do the job right? So you're giving really clear direction there. You would have probably have something in place like a position description. You would have an onboarding process or an induction process, an orientation process, something like that, where you're teaching that counsellor, that psych, that social worker, how you want them to do the work. All right. The next, the next one though, is from the perspective of uh, an independent contractor. So a contractor has quite a high level of control over the work that they perform. They get to usually choose their hours, their location and how they do the work. Okay. I mean, this can be agreed upon, but generally um, they get to choose it. So um, you would perhaps want to negotiate this with them and get it in writing that they're agreeing to do that. But it's not something that you can really enforce. That um, contractor has a very high level of autonomy. Okay. So think about that. The next one is financial risk and responsibility. So basically an employee bears no financial risk and no responsibility when it comes to the money side of things, right? Basically, if you employ someone, the onus is on you to pay that person's salary, their superannuation, their tax, their annual leave, um, PD leave, or all of that sort of stuff. That's on you, irrespective of whether um, you have recently lost a big contract that you have, you know, all of that sort of jazz. You still must pay that person. If you have an independent contractor, it's a little bit different and you have a little bit more flexibility there, okay? The independent contractor will usually bear the risk themselves for making profit or loss on each task. And that's why they do quotes. And that's why if you're working with NDIS clients, you know, and you have to submit that um, SLA, that service agreement, service level agreement, um, you are required to submit a quote. Now that person could, that client could go and get three quotes off three different psychs or social workers or counselors. Um, and they're going to choose the quote that feels right for them. But those, um, contractors who are providing the quotes it's up to them how much they choose to charge because the financial burdens on them okay if um, something happens to them at work they also must have their own insurance to cover that whereas if somebody is working for you as an employee and they injure themselves at work they'll go through work cover right usually so it's your responsibility to have um, the insurance set up to protect your employees. Now, when it comes to things like tools and equipment, 
When you have an employee, it's your responsibility to make sure they have everything they need to do the job. So if you're requiring them to run a psych assessment, you need to usually deliver that or provide that psych assessment to them so that they can use it with your client. Um, if you want them to be doing admin, you must provide them with a computer. If they're going to be doing counselling, you have to provide them with a room that's safe and confidential and meets the OHS and has the COVID restrictions and all of that sort of jazz. Um, and, you know, provides the chairs and all of that sort of stuff. If, however, you have an independent contractor working for you, well, they must use their own tools, right? That's on them. They've got to um, take care of all of the equipment. That's just uh, how it goes in Australia, okay? So they're going to be bringing their own laptop. They might not be bringing their own chairs, but they're going to be bringing their own laptop. If you hire them to do assessments, they're going to bring their own assessments to use, right? And they'll charge you for that. When it comes to things like hours of work, as an employer, you get to dictate or choose how you want that to look. So um, depending on whether it's full-time, part-time, casual, of course, you may say, well, I want you to be seeing clients between nine and six or, you know, 12 and three or whatever it is. But you don't have that same authority when it comes to uh, working with your independent contractor unless you have already agreed on those hours. But even then, that can be that can be um, doubtful. So what you want to do is make sure if you need your independent contractor to be on site that it says so in the contract and that they understand that and that they're agreeing to that, okay? Um, but remember, they do have some flexibility. Now, what this can mean for you if you have an independent contractor and um, depending on what your contract says, because every contract's different, um, but make sure that you're really clear with them about what happens in the downtime because that can be a really sticky area as well um, and make notes of that in the contract, okay? The other thing is um, an expectation of continuing work. So generally what will happen is when we have an employee, we might do something with them like have a probation period and then we might have a six-month review or an annual review, give them a pay rise, etc. Um, so the work is kind of perceived to be by both parties as ongoing, um, you know, unless something happens, you know. But the, the general idea is that you're going to be working together, you know, indefinitely. Whereas when you're working with a contractor, it tends to be case by case or role by role or task by task. Okay, so it's usually for a specific task. So if you're going to have an independent contractor, it might be for doing a task like assessments. It might be doing a task like just the EAP counselling. It might be doing a task like just critical incident stress, um, whatever it is. But it's usually task based. Okay. Um, the next thing to consider is tax. So when you have an employee, uh, your responsibility as a business owner is to set aside money for that person's tax, contribute to their superannuation, um, set aside pay for um, their entitlements, you know, all that sort of stuff, maternity leave, paternity, paternity leave, um, sick, um, long service leave accruing, all of that sort of stuff. On the other hand, when you have an independent contractor, they're responsible for all of that, okay? That's why it can sometimes feel like they might be getting a higher rate. Um, they have to put aside from what you pay them 
a percentage of that for their own super, a percentage for their tax, a percentage for their costs of doing business, etc., etc. Okay. And then the last thing, of course, is leave entitlements. So when you have an employee, you are responsible for ensuring that they receive all of the entitlements um, that they're due um, when they're due. So things like um, annual leave, um, you know, I spoke before about sick leave, maternity, paternity, carers, all that sort of stuff, and that they receive a loading for that. So that's like they get paid even though they're not technically on site doing the work for you. Again, this is different for an independent contractor. You don't pay contractors when they're not working for you. Um, as I mentioned before, they they are responsible for taking care of their own payments and their own leave. Okay, so now let me, I hope that was clear. <laughs> I know I'm kind of going through it pretty quickly, but um, it's so deep and do, do take some notes. So what I want to do now is give you a um, really sort of, brief example of what this can look like and what this has looked like for some people who run a private practice and have struggled with the whole um, independent contractor employee kind of scenario without even realizing it okay so here we go and yeah this is all de-identified so so don't worry before Lisa started working for you know one two three psychology she was told that she'd be an independent contractor and that she had to supply her ABN to the private practice in order to, you know, be successful in getting the job. 123 Psychology told her um, that she needed to arrange her own tax and her own superation, superannuation, her own leave entitlements, etc., because it would save them some money and so that they could give her, you know, a higher hourly rate than if she were employed. And she agreed to that. Um, Lisa invoiced 123 Psychology every month and made sure that her ABN was on every invoice. Okay. Now, she wanted to work for another private practice too, but 123 Psychology said, no way, Jose, you're not allowed to do that because they wanted her to just work for her for their own reasons. I don't know what they were, but they said, no, you can't. Okay. Now, when she was at work, um, Lisa was using a computer and a printer that were provided by 123 Psychology uh, while she was doing her, um, yeah, counselling work there, which she was required to, to do each week. The private practice manager from 123 Psychology was also supervising Lisa, Okay, so in that supervision, she was telling Lisa what she needed to do differently, what she needed to improve. Um, she was telling Lisa about her admin, her clinical notes, her Medicare reports, all of that sort of stuff, giving feedback on, um, you know, a, um, I was going to say attention, retention, attrition, um, all of that. Then what happened was... Um, at one point, 123 Psychology lost a huge PHN contract that they had, okay? And they told Lisa that they no longer uh, needed her services as a result of this, okay? And then what happened was they stopped paying her invoices and Lisa actually had outstanding invoices that hadn't been paid. 
Now, Lisa was friendly with some of the other practitioners who were working at 123 Psychology and they were all in the lunchroom one day having a conversation about it when she got support from some of her friends who said, hey, this doesn't sound right, you should take it further. And they encouraged her to go online and see what her rights were about getting this money back. And so she jumps online and she goes to Fair Work Australia and she has a little bit of a look and um, she completes a quiz on there that gives her some indication as to whether or not she was an independent contractor or an employee. So it took her, you know, about, um, I don't know, four or five minutes, I think it was, to fill out the quiz. And then the quiz gives a summary that says, yes, you're an independent contractor or yes, you're an employee. And what came up in her quiz results were that um, it looked like she was actually an employee of 123 Psychology and not a contractor. And the reason that Fair Work said that she was more likely to be an employee based on her answers were because um, 123 Psychology were requiring her to work um, certain hours, like nine to five, that 123 Psychology told her she couldn't work for another practice, um, that they were providing her with equipment to do her job and that she was getting supervision through them, okay? So, you know, what happens next? Well, what happened in the case that I'm thinking about now um, is that with this information, Fair Work Australia contacted Lisa and said, hey, it looks like you could be an employee. Um, can you give us a call because we've got some more questions for you? So she gave them a call um, and they asked her some more questions. They verified her answers to the quiz. Then they asked her some more questions that they needed answers to so that they could determine whether or not she actually was an employee. And then um, from there, they said, hey, it looks like you are. Um, and what they suggested was that she go and take this information to the practice owner. So she takes us to the practice owner who got very defensive and very anxious and very upset. And she dug her heels in and she said, no, 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 no. You're on a contract. You're an independent contractor. I'm not doing anything about it. And then what happened was Lisa went back to Fair Work and then Fair Work um, ended up taking on Lisa's behalf the practice to court and the practice had to pay $66,000 um, as a result of what's called a sham contract. Now, um, the practice owner didn't have an intention of having a sham contract or anything like that. What had happened was the practice owner didn't know the legalities of what needs to go in a contract for an independent contractor and didn't know the legalities of what needs to go in a contract for an employee. And so while she had the best of intentions and she was very focused on her practice and she was a nice person, it wasn't about her not being a nice person, you know, she was very friendly and very supportive and she loved all her stuff. It wasn't about that. Um, but the reality is the law is the law and she had this person working under the wrong contract and that's why her very small business, there were only a couple of people in it, that's why her very small business had to close because of this big debt that she couldn't um, fund. All right, so I do not want this to happen to you. 
if you're in stage two of your practice, maybe heading into stage three, part of being in stage two is getting yourself set up so that you can start bringing people into the business to work for the business as employees or as contractors. Now, it's not that one is better than another or one is safer than another. It's not about that at all. You can do whatever you like that feels right for you. But the message here is you can't rely on information that people share in Facebook groups for legal things like contracts. You can't. Um, You need to get it right from the outset because it's the only way you are going to have peace of mind. Um, And so if what we've discussed today has caused you time to pause and reflect and really think about, um, you know, where your practice is at. If you're needing to get ready um, in the next, you know, six to 12 months to bring people on, now is the time for you to be getting this stuff sorted out. If you already have people in place and they're already on contracts, I would absolutely recommend that you get these contracts reviewed and sorted out. It's much, much, much better for you as a business to, excuse me, to make changes and to update things now. And if anything did go, you know, pear shape or get ugly, a court would look very favorably upon it. If you were showing that you recognized that you got it wrong and that you were doing everything in your power to correct it, okay, that's not going to go against you. Um, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I imagine it would look better for you if you were trying, if you were seen as trying to correct something and fix it. Um, But at the end of the day, as I said, ignorance is no excuse when it comes to legal matters like this. Now, I did say that I had a resource. I do. There's a lady that I connect with for all of my HR stuff. She is just amazing. Um, If you want me to give you her details, I can. um, Send me an email and I'll give you that information in confidence. Um, I don't want to like spread it everywhere and all of that. No, let's not do Facebook posts where everybody's saying, I want help with this. No, because it's just... It's very, very private. Your business is very private when it comes to these sorts of things. So just send me an email and I'll be more than happy to send you her phone number and her email and you can, um, you know, I can connect you. It's not a problem. Okay. But set an intention this week to have a look at your contracts, um, get some guidance about whether or not they're okay, whether they meet the current legal requirements especially with changes to COVID as well and things like that. If you've got people on existing contracts, they may need amending and you won't know if you don't ask. So if you need help, as I said, reach out and let me know. Um, And yeah, this is very, very private. It's very personal and um, it's super duper confidential. Um, And I want to make sure that you feel really, really confident in your practice Okay, really confident, have peace of mind. So hopefully you've taken some notes from today. Um, There are places you can go to get more information. And of course, that's WorkSafe, WorkCover, Fair Work Australia, um, the ATO, you know, all those sorts of places are really, really good. But if you're anything like me, um, they can be super overwhelming 
especially if you're already anxious and you're not taking it all in or you don't understand it. For me, I work better with visuals <laughs> and I like discussion. For me, I've got questions and I need a real person to be able to answer them for me in real time. <laughs> Otherwise, I just get bamboozled by all the, all the jargon on these websites. So if you need help, email me. I will connect you with um, my my the person that I use and uh, yeah you can go from there if you like the help is there if you need it so I hope this was a helpful episode for you as I said this one was more about the masculine energy in terms of helping you get these really essential foundations in place so that you can have that successful private practice that you're dreaming of there's nothing worse than feeling like you're experiencing success and then having the rug pulled from under you because you were unaware of something so this is your wake-up call <laughs> coming with love this is your wake-up call go and check your forms check your um contract arrangements your agreements your employee documentation go and check it all if you need help reach out okay that is your task this week all right don't be afraid you can do it all right i believe in you <laughs> and i will talk to you on saturday have a beautiful rest of the day everyone bye thank you so much for listening to this episode of the private practice with soul podcast today if you're looking for clarity if you need help with branding your processes and bringing everything into alignment with your soul's purpose for your private practice head to the show notes and click the link for more information about the private practice monthly mentorship group you are going to love it i can't wait to see you in there thanks so much for listening bye